Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Alec Torres. Alec is a former speechwriter for President Trump and House Speaker McCarthy and has ghostwritten for cabinet secretaries, ambassadors, national media personalities, and business leaders. He's also the co-founder of Allograph, a strategic writing and communication and design firm. And today we're going to discuss a book that he co-authored with Joshua Charles called Persecuted from Within, How the Saints Endured Crisis in the Church from Sophia Institute Press. And Alec, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Deacon. Uh, as we were talking about when you uh, first got on before we started recording, um, you know, this is really a much needed book because, you know, of all the the chaos going in the world, the world just feels like a dumpster fire. And unfortunately, when we go to seek solace in the church, there's nothing but disunity and attacks and craziness within the church as well. And and you do a good job of uh, not necessarily focusing on that, but reminding us we're still called to be saints, no matter how difficult the situation. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I mean, thank you so much for, for having me on and for uh, bringing up the book, uh, you know, Persecuted from Within, How the Saints Endured Crises in the Church. It, the point of the book really stems right from that question is that I saw confusion. My co-author and I saw confusion in the world, confusion in the church and really difficult times. And and we wanted to figure out how to respond. What's what's the proper way to act in the most in the most Christian fashion, the most saintly fashion uh, so that we can we can become as holy as we should uh, without ignoring the problems around us. Uh, and the best way we thought to do that was to look at the lives of the saints. How did people do it before us? And if we could figure out the, the, the key from them, the lessons from them, and that would help us to, to act properly in our own times and cut through the confusion. Sometimes we can get caught up even in our own time, right? Because everything is out there on social media. I mean, people are commenting right and left. You know, sometimes we, we can spend too much time focusing on all the craziness and negativity that's going on in the Vatican within the church, and we lose sight of our own growing and holiness and really being the light instead of participating in all the, you know, the, the garbage that's taking place. That's absolutely correct. Uh, um, one of the things we found in our study of the saints here was that the, the saints were were hyper-focused on, on doing what was right in their own life and in their own circumstances at that time. I, I mean, there's no reason to focus on or to, or to talk about everything wrong or bad going on. The, the, we live in the world. The world's always going to be a crazy place. The world's always going to be filled with sin, and that includes the church because the church is filled with, with sinful people. Um, you know, it's it's not good to to completely ignore it, but um, we have to keep in we have to keep it in perspective. Uh, and and if we ever focus on it to to the ex- at the expense of our own growth and holiness, to our own sanctity, even to our own sanity, sometimes then that's that's going to do grave damage. Uh, it, it, what really matters is that we develop our own virtues and our own life of faith before before anything else, because that's the only way that we can fix anything in this world and be a light to those around us. Well, and the reminder is the Lord put us here for a reason, right? We're not here accidentally. And so we don't can't get carried away by the currents of, you know, negative discourse and all the things that are taking place. We're called not only to be the saints and, you know, be holy, 
but lead other people's lead other people to Christ, right? Our baptismal call is to be a light. And sometimes we lose track of that and we become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. Yeah, the 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 saints were were very very good in in demonstrating this in their lives. Uh, one of the continual things we saw uh, just just analyzing their lives. I mean, these were these were people like Saint Padre Pio, uh, Saint Mary MacKillop over in in Australia, Saint Alphonsus Liguori. Um, they they did not respond to the the evil around them, the negativity around them, the the sin around them with anger. Uh, or, or with anything, with anything less than love. I mean, they really did live out Christ's call to to love their enemies, to pray for those who persecuted them. Um, it can seem very uh, idealized when we think about it in our lives of faith. Almost like, of course, I know my catechism; that's what it teaches. But if you understand the circumstances, I mean, it's, it's our circumstances too. Uh, if, if we see wrong around us and people doing wrong uh, that that and it, and it hurts us even individually that gives us no excuse to act in any other way but the way that christ acted which was with love and it's very difficult it's extremely difficult as we can see in their lives but but that is our call and i think not only talking about the saints and we'll get into a few of those saints but just the realization is this is nothing new right we've had problems in the church for a long time, on and off, we've had good popes and popes that weren't so good. So none of this is new, but yet sometimes we kind of think like, oh my gosh, the sky's falling, we're chicken little. When this has been done and been there, done that kind of thing, and you point out in the book, right, there are examples of how to live the life when you talk about St. Thomas More, St. Padre Pio, St. John of the Cross, right, who's there's order locking them under the stairs for goodness sakes. Yeah, it's it's... I mean, I do think that there are ways in which our time is is unique, and we can always discuss that. But but in terms of of worrying that you know this is the end of the world, my goodness, how can the Lord be with us in such crises as these? Uh, I mean, just just to bring up two examples, in uh, we we have Saint Bruno uh, in our book, a fascinating figure, and he existed in a time when there was anti popes when. When the curia, when the, the cardinals that elected the pope, there were six of them, and all the other cardinals were were siding with another pope. Uh, the Normans sacked Rome, or uh, there were riots in the streets. I mean, if you if there were TV news back then, you would actually think that the world was ending because it just looked like utter chaos. And and the Lord was with them in that time. And you know, even more profoundly, uh, our our Lord showed us this in His own life. He he has twelve disciples with Him. And one of them betrayed him, and uh, every single one except for St. John wasn't with him at the cross. I mean, he was abandoned by his own. By his own life, he taught us that, that the church will be in crises, that it'll look like things are really bad. Um, and that was at the beginning. I, I mean, we don't have to wait long to see this sort of history unfold, and our time is really no different. Oh, you look at St. Catherine of Siena, right? The Pope ran away from Rome because he was afraid. She had to go to France and say, hey, get your backside back to Rome, right? I mean, you, there's example after example of, and you said, right, it can seem idyllic when we're living about it, but look, they had they must have had consternation and they must have been, you know, not thrilled with what's going on, but they were human like us, but yet they let their faith lead them and not, you know, succumb to their emotions, yeah, that that's exactly right. And and gosh, if you want to look at times when it when it felt like it was worse, there was um, Saint Athanasius. Uh, he he existed in the well, he was alive in the 300s, and and they 
there was a, a, a big heresy at the time, uh, Arianism. And uh, I mean, there, there's this famous quote from a historian that the whole world woke up and groaned to find itself Arian. I, I mean, bishops uh, were Arian, priests were Arian, local sees were Arian. He was exiled from his own see multiple times. If you want to talk about keeping the faith, you know, keep the faith at a time when people who were objectively heretics, I mean, preaching something against the gospel of Christ, were occupying churches and seas and, and running vast swaths of territory. I, I mean, gosh, it looked, it looked absolutely terrible then, but he just clung to the truth of the faith every single time. He would look at what did the ter- church in its magisterium teach, and that's what he stuck to, no matter whether he was in his sea in Alexandria or exiled somewhere else on the good side of the emperor or on the bad, it didn't matter. The faith was the same. Well, and you talk about it in the book, right? Because, you know, we, we hear all kind of things from the hierarchy, some good, some not so good. But you really talk about how to discern when to obey and when not to obey. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, th- this is really, I, I would say that this is, this is at the heart of the book in my mind. The, the examples of the saints are absolutely fascinating. They can really help us in our own times. But, but that question right there is, is what I wanted to know, because th- there's this tendency to think either, you know, p- pride within us can say, well, I don't want to obey with anything that I, that I disagree with or I think is wrong. And that's, that's profoundly uh, not Christian. It's just, it's just not the way that we've seen uh, uh, any faithful follower of Christ uh, act throughout history. And then there's another side that says, well, I guess we just have to sit here and deal with every problem and not respond to it in any way. And, uh, and that's just not how we see uh, uh, the saints acting. Um, the, the, the key that we found with obedience was, was who are you defending? What, when, there's, when there's any sense of disobeying what uh, anyone in the hierarchy is, is teaching or preaching or commanding, who are you defending? Are you defending yourself? Are you defending your pride? Are you defending your preferences, which you think is the right decision to make? Or are you defending the truths of the faith? Are, are, are you fighting for what the Lord taught us and passed down through the church over the ages? Um, if, it's, if it's the former, that's a big problem. Uh, but if it's the latter, the saints show us time and again that sometimes we do need to stand up for proper teaching of the truths of the faith. And, and that's, that's the clear line that we see in the lives of the faith. If it's about ourselves, I, I, you know, sometimes we just have to sit there and we have to be like our Lord. We have to accept unjust, uh, unjust judgments upon ourselves. Well, and part of it is if we do disobey, right, and we shouldn't be, that's not going to make us happy, right? That doesn't make us joyful. If it does, then it becomes really, you know, just more focused on self. We disobey not a way that we cherish, but in a way that we know is faithful. And everything has to be measured against scripture and sacred tradition. And if we know those things, then we know which path to take, don't we? That's exactly correct. It's, it's, it's scripture, it's sacred tradition, and a robust life of prayer um, study. Uh, but I would say that, that in, its, in its proper understanding, there is really never a time in which we could properly said to be disobeying. At all times, what we're really doing is we're obeying, we're obeying the Lord and we're obeying his church and, and the magisterium it preaches. And the only time we seem to disobey is when we are adhering to that higher obedience to, to the Lord and to the magisterium of the church, the tradition and the scriptures um, as, as the church interprets them. 
So obedience is always the call. And, and I think what people can complain, I mean, nine times out of 10, if not more, nothing that a bishop or a priest or anything like that will, will preach or say or command contradicts that. It might cause, it might have some confusion. It might be unclear, but it doesn't actually contradict the magisterium, the true teachings of the church. And, uh, you know, in those circumstances, we really are called to, to be obedient, um, to be obedient like Christ was on earth, to even to the religious leaders of his own time. And I think that's, that's a really good point, right? That this, I mean, if we're following Christ, we're never disobedient. It just becomes, you know, who, who are we listening to? And if we listen to anybody other than Christ, somebody disagrees with Christ, then that's, that's to our own demise. And, you know, when you read this, and, I, and I'm a convert myself from back in the late 90s, right before the, you know, the sex abuse crisis struck, um, the, the, the reminder is no matter how rough the seas are, don't get out of the boat, right? I mean, we got to stay in the church. Where else are we going to go? But yet there is a temptation for some to say, I'm, I'm leaving. I can't take it anymore. And that's the exact wrong thing to do, isn't it? You can see this time and again when it looks very, very dark in history. And that's why in, in, in many ways it can seem like a, you know, a negative subject to dwell upon. My gosh, the persecution from, from within that we face from leaders in our own church. We really want to cover that over the course of 20 different centuries, all these different examples. But in a way, it brings a lot of hope because we have the benefit of looking back in time of seeing how, how things resolve. And we can see that the Lord does draw people through these crises. He draws, he draws the church, he draws individuals, and he makes them better and more holy in the process of, of this suffering that they endure. I mean, it's, it's the old saying that you can't have Easter if you don't have Good Friday. And, and by looking at the times of Good Friday, if you look at them in isolation, sure, my goodness, why wouldn't you think it's the end of the world and things are terrible? But once you understand that the Lord always retains the power providentially through history, individually in our own lives, in our communities, our nations, our times, that he has the ability to draw good from bad and lift it up to greater degrees of holiness and goodness, then it can help us be at peace in our own times. I mean, we don't have to see how this is all going to work out. The Lord probably won't let us see how it's going to work out. Many of the saints, they, they, they died in a state of limbo, not really knowing if their own project, their own goals, their, everything that they were working on would really succeed. And yet now we know that all of them are in heaven, enjoying the Lord face to face and interceding for us, which is exactly where we're called to be. We just have to have the faith to continue working through it. Well, and that's the point, right? It's, it's, it is all about our salvation, right? We can't earn it, right? It is, it is a gift, uh, a grace given to us, but we do have to participate in this world. And that means sharing the love of Christ. And you mentioned it earlier, right? There really are no enemies. There are only souls that need to be saved and that are misguided. And we, and we can't treat this like an ordinary war where I have to win and you have to lose. It's I care about your soul and I want you to know the truth and whatever happens to me happens to me, but I, it's because I care and want to share the truth that, you know, I show the love for even those that disagree with us. Right. Yeah. And, and we can take it to much more extreme circumstances than anything that most of us listening to this program have ever experienced and, and God willing, most of us ever will experience. Uh, there's the example of Saints John Fisher and Thomas More. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, they're serving, they're serving a corrupt and, and turned heretical king. Uh, the, the whole hierarchy in that country turned against them. The political leadership turned against them. They were you know, effectively the, the sole people standing for the truth 
about marriage against King Henry, who wanted to divorce his wife and marry somebody else to have heirs. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it was the controversy of the day. And they, they went to their deaths, to their martyrdoms, praying for those very people who were sending them there and in good spirits too, begging that those people who were, you know, even giving them the benefit of doubt, trying to say, you know, you, maybe you're just following your conscience. I can't actually judge you the way that the Lord can. I pray that you will be with me in heaven and that all of this will be resolved. Uh, I mean, that's faith right there. And that, that's, that's something that we have to remember. It's, it's worth striving for, but that comes from God. And we just have to lean on the Lord to give us that grace to see those whom we disagree with and those whom we think are doing violence to us or to the church in that, um, with that degree of love that the Lord has for them too. And for a lot, you know, it's funny you bring it up for the last several years. Once a year, I watch A Man for All Seasons. And, and it always is a great reminder of, of what it, what faith looks like. And it's never going to play out the way you think it does. And it doesn't matter how it plays out. You just be faithful. And whatever the Lord's will is, it is. You kind of allow him to guide this process. And you mentioned it before, right? Many of these died without seeing any fruits of what they were doing. but the fruit was their salvation, and it, and, and it sure it changed hearts for people they may not even know. Oh, and it, it all changed it for, for people they don't even know. I, I mean, my goodness, the fact that, that these, these saints were, were writing about them today, discussing them today, I, I, we believe in, in their intercession, certainly. So they're operating in that way, but just their lives are a lesson for us now as well. Uh, I, I mean, their, their impact by living that life of faith straight through to the end, sometimes even to martyrdom, was uh, it, it bears fruit. It, it is the seed of the grain of wheat that fell to the ground and died and then bore much fruit. I mean, there's no greater picture of Christ and what he came to do and live than how these saints acted as well, to go and to die for those whom they were being persecuted by for the benefit of them and generations to come. We can never imagine how much impact that has. Uh, it, it's, worth, it's worth it to pray upon and, and to contemplate it and even to ask the Lord's enlightenment for it. But, but my goodness, I think the Lord does so much more work than we could ever imagine with our sacrifices here. Well, absolutely. I, would, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, one of the other important topics that you have in the book, uh, especially from people outside the church looking in, right? It's important to be able to explain things to non-Catholics, kind of what's going on and what and what the truth really is on a lot of particular topics. And the church teachings are really meant to save us, not to restrict us. And I think maybe you can talk a little bit about that because that really is important because people on the outside just see, you know, may see chaos and not figure out what is right. I keep hearing different things. And it's really an obligation for us to be able to know what is right and be able to share that. Yes, it's, we are required. I, I mean, the Lord gave us, gave us our brains, our intellect, our wills. We, we have to form uh, those. It is our obligation to work with the Lord, to form that and to know the answers to these questions. We, we aren't going to convince anybody by simply just saying, well, I just, I just follow whatever I'm told. You know, that's not compelling. And, and honestly, it's not true either. I mean, we, we, we follow because we sense the Lord's working in it and we know what is, what is true and what is false. And our obedience can be a great testimony in this as well, because this is a day and age when everything is, is, is put to our personal choice. Uh, I mean, 37 different options for jam on the, uh, at, on the supermarket uh, shelves and 
uh, you know, you can, you can date this person and date that person. You can, I mean, gosh, the choices before us, it's almost a, a tyranny of choice. And to live that life that says, no, I'm choosing to be obedient here and to be able to admit when my own, when the, when the people that I am being obedient to, when the church that I'm being obedient within, that the people within that church are sometimes wrong, but I'm going to stick with it. That's a testimony. I, I think of it, think of it in terms of a marriage. You know, when you see some, a, a couple who's been married for 50, 60, 70 years, and you know that they didn't agree all the time or that. They didn't just have this idyllic, perfect family life where everything went perfectly. The testimony of their lives, even beyond what they say, just the mere fact that they love each other and stuck through it to the end, uh, it gives everyone around them something to aspire to, and it inspires them to want that same thing, uh, whether they know how to have it or not. And then like that, a couple, we can show them what it means to have that too, how to live a life of faith within the church, imperfect as the people within it may be at times. The Lord does give us opportunities to be examples, especially anybody who's listening, who's a parent or a grandparent, right? The way we conduct ourselves, the way we grow in faith and holiness, the way we defend the church, right? Little eyes are watching us. Right. And we can make their lives better by setting this example and not, you know, getting into the fray and, and, you know, being this combatant who's just, you know, angry all the time. Right. This changing how we respond can change how future generations respond. Yeah. What we want our children to see. And I mean, that's really close to my heart, too. I just had uh, our, our second was just born. And, uh, uh, you know, we're so excited to have her in the home and, and my uh, older son, two and a half years old, he's just copying every darn word that comes out of my mouth and out of my wife's mouth. It really teaches you to, to watch what you say. Uh, and, but it's a beautiful thing to see because you can see if you're, if you're demonstrating and living a life of holiness and connection with God through all of this, if you're not acting with, with uh, you know, with bad anger or, or with, uh, you know, any sort of bitterness in your heart, it shows itself out uh, in your kids. And, and, you know, I've been told as they get older in their own actions and lives too. And this extends even further out as well to our friends and family members. Uh, I mean, it is, it is right sometimes for us to be able to say that, that certain things that, uh, they, that our friends and family may have heard uh, a particular bishop or, or a priest or whatever it might be, maybe they did say something that was genuinely wrong. And, and didn't represent faith accurately. It's, it's proper to tell them what the truth is in those circumstances, but never with, with anger, never with bitterness, always with love. Uh, and they'll see that. Uh, they'll see that and they, they'll, they'll be attracted to it because it's, it's Christ-like and, and Christ is attractive to those who want something more out of their lives. I think that is, that is a good point. And, you know, it is easy to get caught up in things, right? We have you know, the, the visitation for Bishop Strickland, we have what's going on with the Carmelites, right, in, in Texas versus their bishop. And sometimes we, we want to take sides, but we do need to remind ourselves, no matter what these situations are, we don't know the whole story. And, and to get a tweet or something online and think now we know the whole thing, we do need to remind ourselves that we don't have all the details. So to get caught up in that uh, really does us a great disservice. And we just keep perpetuating that, you know, our, our own opinion out into the world. And our opinion based on non-facts is not really worth anything. Yes. it's And for, frankly, even when it's 
based on facts, sometimes it can be better to be silent. I mean, I, I would say in this day and age, when we have, uh, you know, social media at our fingertips and, and when, you know, it's, it's, it's a form of pride to always think that everyone cares about our opinion and what we have to say about it all the time. Uh, my co-author and I, we, we very much agree. Um, the, the sins of the tongue are, are a grave risk right now. And I think one that people undercount. I, gosh, how, how sad would it be to end up uh, standing before judgment and finding out that, that, that you're not going to heaven because of a tweet? Uh, you know, maybe it, it seems extreme to look at it that way, but, but it's not bad to. I mean, every sin separates us from the Lord, and we don't want to engage in any of it. So before we say anything, before we hit send on anything, we, we have to think about it in that regard. Um, it, it's very clear that the saints tell us, you know, if you're defending the truth with charity— that's proper. That's good. But sometimes, even if it is, if it is the truth, but it's not as important, you have to. You, it's better to keep your mouth shut. Uh, there's a great example in the book of, of uh, St. Mary MacKillop in, in Australia, where she was um, improperly excommunicated by a bishop. Bishop. The, the details are, are fascinating, but but not worthwhile to get into right now. And you know, it was very illegitimate. Um, it, it sat wrong uh, uh, with the people around her. And, and her mother went out into the press and defended her, uh, just, just wrote a letter out and said, you know, I regret uh, that, uh, that my, my daughter ever put herself uh, under your authority, yada, yada, yada. And her Mary, St. Mary, said privately, you know, my mom, my mother was right. I mean, she, she, what she said was correct, but oh, my goodness, what a cost to, to speak to the bishop whom we owe our, our love and deference to in this way, even when he was wrong against me personally, what a cost. And that cost was not worth bearing in her mind. Um, that's, that's how the saints acted. Uh, you know, even if you know you're right, maybe it is still best to be silent. Good example. And I can't, I know time always goes so fast. How can people follow what you're doing, Alec? Because uh, they really need to keep track of all the things that are going on out there. <laughs> well, Maybe it's good you asked me that last question last. I, I take my own advice a little aggressively. I'm actually not on social media at all. I operate mostly as a ghostwriter. I felt very called to work on this book, but it's it, m- almost all of my writing is is, uh, is is not done under my own name. Um, my co-author, Joshua Charles, uh, he's very worth looking up online. He's an extremely intelligent person. He, he has been called to have a presence. He can be found on social media, especially on Twitter. But otherwise, I'm just trying to, to do my best to live that, that quiet life of, of faith that draws me and my family closer to God. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.